been so fun, this kind of residency program, the way that it works is every year we have a couple residents who come in and spend a year with us and kind of get to be trained up in ministry a little bit, um, but serve us in so many different amazing ways. And, and uh, I'm so excited about Grant and Durrell. We've got such incredible uh, leaders that have stepped forward this year and so excited about the way our staff is coming together and things are happening. Uh, it's a good, good day. Uh, football, guys. Yes. My team lost yesterday. I know no one's upset about that in this room but me. I'm the only person grieving that. Uh, but NFL starts today. I, I, I don't know, this week, it, when, when it starts to get a little colder outside, like it's not, a, you can actually go outdoors in Atlanta. Uh, when you reach the point where you can go outdoors and football is on, I don't know, the fall is my favorite season. Uh, Thursday night, that NFL game was on. I got a fire going on my back patio. I put the game on on the TV and all was right uh, in the world. It's, it's been a good week. And so uh, I'm excited for us to be together. We've been walking through this series called The Way of Jesus. And we've been looking at Matthew 5. We're just kind of walking through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at the Beatitudes. And we're going to continue that today. I want to show you kind of where we have been and where we are in the series of the Beatitudes. So can we put that grid up there? We're, we're, we're kind of talking about the way of a disciple's and then the distinctives of a disciple. And, and what we notice in the Beatitudes is they actually build on each other. It's almost as if we, don't, if we don't get the first part, if we don't get the way of humility and we don't acknowledge that we need a savior, it's gonna be hard for us to get the second part, which is the way of repentance and acknowledging that we need to embrace a new way. And if we don't get that, it's gonna be hard to get the third part. And so we're, we're talking about the way of Jesus, which oftentimes is really different from the way of the world. But we're also talking about the distinctives of the way the disciples of Jesus live, what it looks like to be an obedient disciple of Jesus. So, so the way is kind of the, 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 an invitation. We're invited into a way of humility, a way of repentance, a way of submissiveness, a way of honesty, and a way of mercy. These are all the ways of Jesus. And the distinctives are the fruit this is the fruit that comes out of our life when we are followers of Jesus. And so we acknowledge that we need a savior. We embrace his way. We give our lives away. We honestly examine our lives and we're forgiven so we forgive. And so today we've reached kind of uh, that part in the, in, the, in the scriptures where it talks about moving beyond just receiving and it talks about what we're supposed to give. And so a lot of these are about what we Get, and this is about what we give, but it's also about what we get. Matthew 5, verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. It's interesting, this is the only one where the promise and the, the ask coincide. It's almost like you get what you give. Uh, a few weeks ago, I showed you guys a video of my swimming pool. Uh, and I know that this week has been a long week for many of you. How many of you had flooding in your house in some way? That's not, that's, that's better than I thought. I know that doesn't make you feel better if you raised your hand. Uh, but, but it was awful. And some of you had the cripes. I saw like your guys' whole, everything was flooded. It was awful for some of you. And, and, and so uh, a few weeks ago, I showed a video of my pool flooding. 
And what would happen, I live on a hill, and my pool, whoever built our house, decided to build a swimming pool at the bottom of a hill, uh, which wasn't a smart idea, and they built no drainage system. And so we moved into this house about five years ago, and every time we get a severe rain, the pool just gets filled up with mud, because mud comes floating down that hill. There's like a river of mud that enters into my swimming pool. I think that's a song. Uh, like, I, I don't know, uh, but it just becomes this giant mess. And so uh, I, I, a couple of months ago, I showed a video of that happening and said that that feels like pastoring right now uh, because every time I clean the pool, it fills back up. It feels like our world of COVID, like every time we feel like we're past it, the mud comes down the hill again. Uh, but the good news is I had somebody come out, we built a bunch of drains, we dug some ditches, and I got no, nothing in my pool this week. But I started thinking, yeah, you guys, it's, it's okay, yeah. Some of you have been, a bunch of you have been asking to help me. I, I, I am capable of doing some things. I just want you guys to know, like, I, I can do more things than just read the Bible. So I appreciate all the people who have reached out and said, hey, here's what you need to do, here's how you can fix it, here's what, all those kinds of things. Um, we, we got it fixed. But this week, I was just thinking about that filter on our swimming pool. So we've got a sand filter on that pool. And the way the sand filter works is it allows all of the water to kind of cycle through this canister that contains sand. And so it pumps water in and it pumps water out and the water will flow through this filter but it will stop all of the dirt and debris and sand and junk that gets in this pool. And so it's really remarkable how this works. You guys saw a picture of my pool and how it was just brown. I mean, it was just full of mud. And it takes some time, and I gotta dump some chemicals on there that make the water or make the dirt filter to the bottom, and I gotta run a vacuum and do all of these different things. But the filter, every single week, I go out and I backwash it, and then I rinse it just over and over again, a couple times a week. And it's amazing to me how this thing works. And I, I've, I've been sitting there thinking like, man, I don't even know how this works. I just know that I press this button and this button, and the pool gets cleaned. Uh, I feel like there's, there's something in there that, that God wants to do for us today because I feel like over the last year or two years, we've been inundated with all of this junk and mud and chaos and, and, and frustration and, and tension and political arguments and racial tension and all of these things that are going on in our world over and over and over again, and it's just, we need a filter sometimes. Because I feel like what happens is if I'm not careful, my life starts getting filled up with the wrong stuff. And I start getting filled up with anger, and I start getting filled up with frustration, and I start getting filled up with resentment and lack of forgiveness, and I start to do all of these things. And what happens is I can always tell when I'm starting to get filled up with the wrong stuff because it leaks. Are you with me? Like the scripture says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's this principle that it's a spiritual principle that what's inside of us actually begins to come out. And so I can tell when I'm in an unhealthy place because of the way I respond to my children. I can tell that I'm in an unhealthy place the way that I respond to somebody who I don't agree with. I can tell when I'm in a healthy place by the way my emotions become dashboard indicators that tell me there's something inside that's not right and we gotta filter some of that out. 
we gotta do some backwashing or something, right? And so today, I've been praying, and, 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 I, and as we look at this, like the idea of blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy is this. We, we've been forgiven for so much. We've received so much mercy in our lives. Like over and over and over again, we fall short of the glory of God. Over and over again, we make mistakes. And over and over again, he continues to forgive us, to show mercy, to offer forgiveness, to invite us back into his presence, to invite us back into his purpose, to even allow us to be a part of his calling in this world, even though we get it wrong over and over and over again. And so the idea spiritually is because we've received so much, that's what should flow out of us but I'm worried and concerned that we're in a place in our culture right now where what's coming out of us is not the fruit of mercy and forgiveness, but it's anger and it's exhaustion and it's frustration and it's leaking out of us over and over and over again. So today, I I really just want, as we were praying, even as we were praying as a team this morning for this gathering, I just want to be really clear that today we're not talking about a set of beliefs or an ideology. Because it's easy to do that. It's easy to look at the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes are brilliant. Right? Are you with me? I would put the Beatitudes up against any philosophy in the world and say, this is the way we're called to live. Right? I don't care who you are, if you study philosophy, you'll understand. These are brilliant ideologies. This is a genius level teaching that Jesus is dropping on the people here. Like this is an amazing ideology. But, but I want you to picture right now what the disciples were experiencing with Jesus because I believe that's what Jesus wants us to experience with him now. Because Jesus didn't just want the disciples to agree with him and to say, oh man, that's the right way to live. Those are good principles. Those are good ideas. That's a good ideology. He wanted them to follow him. And so we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Jesus, the living person of Jesus. Our our, our faith is not built on a bunch of principles and ideas. It's built on a person, Jesus. And so as Jesus is sharing these ideas and these philosophies and these ideas that are brilliant, he's also walking with the disciples. He's sitting with them. He's eating meals with them. He's interacting with them. He's teaching them along the way. And Peter's saying to Jesus, hey, when you taught this, what do you mean? And Jesus is saying, hey, Peter, you're leaking, right? There's something, we gotta filter some things here. There's all these conversations that are being had. There's this relationship that's happening. And so this, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, I've been getting a lot of, 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 of people responding and talking about how, how brilliant Jesus' teaching is on all of these things. But my hope is that we don't fall in love with an ideology. My hope is that we fall in love with the Savior, My hope is that we don't just start an ideological war and say, our ideas are better than your ideas to the world. My hope is that we say, I wanna introduce you to a savior who has changed everything for me because he offered me mercy when I didn't deserve it and it's changed me and changed my life and there is fruit that is flowing out of me because of the goodness that Jesus is implanting and investing inside of me. Does that make sense? And so I feel like in the last couple years as believers, we've kind of doubled down on our ideology rather than inviting people into a relationship with a beautiful savior. 
And so this morning, even before we start and even before we begin, I just want to pray today. Um, it's amazing how many texts and scriptures Jesus uses in talking about why we're supposed to forgive others and why we're supposed to show mercy to others. Like I could have taught 10 sermons on this. It's everywhere. There's parables about it. There's teachings about it. There's commands about it. It's all over the place. And so today, here's my hope. This is what I've been praying for all week as I've been preparing. Today, my hope is that I don't say something that persuades you. My hope is that the Holy Spirit of God meets you where you're at and searches your heart and says, let's filter some things. Let's look at our real life and let's look as is what I poured into you actually flowing out of you. So I wanna pray into that and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I just pray today that you would meet with us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do the work that I can't do with words and with teaching and that you would stir up something among us, that you would stir our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would love us and teach us and you would meet us in this place. And so we ask you, Lord, we submit to you in a way that says, search our hearts today, Lord. And if there's any unforgiveness or any lack of mercy or any lack of charity or anywhere you wanna turn our lives towards your plans and your agenda and your heart for us today, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit right now with the authority of Jesus that you would work and move in this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Uh, we study the Bible looking for Jesus, not for an idea. And sometimes we think that transformation just comes through learning. Like if I learn enough stuff, I'm gonna be transformed. If I know enough about this, I'm gonna change my beliefs. But our faith is about a covenantal relationship with a real savior, and so we wanna interact with him. Mercy is a noun. It's translated in scripture as elios. And what mercy means is mercy is always talking about dealing with pain or dealing with misery or dealing with something that is the result of sin. Does that make sense? And the result of sin can be it is the result of somebody else's sin that has affected you, right? We've all been affected by somebody else's sin, right? Somebody else has done something they shouldn't have done, and because of that, all of us are affected by that. And, 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 by, and there's results of what happens in the world around us. There is also pain that is caused from our own sin, right? It's harder for us to acknowledge, and it's harder for us to say, this was my fault, and I'm experiencing this because I made poor decisions, but the reality is there's, there's, there's pain, and there's misery, and there's hurt that is caused by others, and then there's pain and misery and hurt that is caused by my own bad choices and my own bad decisions, my own sin that's in my life. And so mercy is talking about dealing with the consequences of that. Now, it's different from grace, Grace is about dealing with the actual sin. Does that make sense? So mercy deals with the consequences of sin. Grace deals with the actual sin. Now scripture teaches us that grace is the work that Jesus does, right? He is the one who offers grace. He, 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 he stands before the Father and offers up grace for each of us as we receive and repent and accept him as our Savior and as our Lord. And so there's this invitation into grace, and the Father deals with 
judging and deals with understanding and deals with our actual sin. Now, what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to deal with the consequences of sin. Does this make sense? So everywhere around us, there is a sin-scarred world where there is hurt and pain and misery and brokenness, right? Can you guys all think of somewhere in your life where you see the consequences of sin and the hurt of it and the pain of it and that there is brokenness and things aren't as they should be, right? There is not shalom. There is not a peace in your world and it's because of the brokenness of sin. And so what, what, there's an important distinction here that mercy means that we deal with the consequences of sin. It means that we extend relief to those who are in pain, in misery, in suffering, and who are hurting. Not just relief to people who are hurting because of other sin, but also people that are hurting because of their own sin. And that's where it gets hard. Because I don't know about you guys, I am really good at showing mercy to someone who has been hurt by somebody else. I'm really bad at showing mercy to someone who has been hurt by their own stupidity. Right? Like sometimes you wanna just say, yep, deal with it. You made your bed. I don't know, there's other things we could say. Uh, this, this, you just, you gotta deal with the own thing, but there's an important distinction here that we are invited to cure, to heal, to help, and Jesus is the one who judges, cleans, and makes righteous. And this is hard for us because one, one thing that happens is we want Jesus' role and our role, right? I wanna be the judge and jury and sentencer of people, especially when they wrong me, Right? Have you ever had somebody that did something against you and you know that it's wrong and you're frustrated about it and you're the one who wants to be the judge? I can, I can pass sentence on this person and this is what I want them to experience in their life and we start naming all the things and all the frustrations and all the things that we wanna do. But, but here is this idea, the kingdom teaches us a different way because Jesus deals with us in a different way. So, so let's start with this. The world cancels and the kingdom forgives. And we are in the middle of a cancel culture that has gotten out of control. Matthew 18, verse 21, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who, who, who sins against me? Should it be seven times? And Jesus said, no, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began a settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought before him. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had had to be sold to repay the debt. At hearing this news, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master then took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But then the servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owned him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. And instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Now, here's some things I wanna help you to understand here. The debt that the servant has with the master is a debt that is not repayable. It's an enormous debt. The debt that that person is owed to him is a small debt. It's a tiny debt. 
And so he refused. He went off. He had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servant heard what had happened, they were outraged and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all of the debts of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. Now listen to this. Guys, this is not a fun verse. Verse 35 is one of the most unfun verses in the entire Bible. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Ooh. I wish that wasn't in there. Are you with me? I wish that wasn't in there. I wish it just, the the parable is really good if 35 isn't in there. Because I'm like, oh, that's a really good lesson. I should forgive. But 35 makes it serious, doesn't it? It says because we've been forgiven of this enormous debt, this is us. We go to the Father and we ask him to forgive us of all of our sins. We ask him to pay our debt. We ask him to wipe it white as snow. And we've all have these enormous debts and then someone sins against us in some small way and we carry a grudge and we wanna seek revenge and we wanna tell the story to everybody around us about how that person wronged us and we wanna make sure that that person gets back exactly what they deserve. And we cancel. We cancel in so many different ways. We cancel them as friends, we cancel them on social media, we tell the story to everybody else who will hear, and we do all of these things. Now listen, this is what this doesn't mean. I'm not talking about you not being safe here. This is a really important distinction. You can forgive and not put yourself in a position where you're with an unsafe person. So I have people in my life who are unsafe people. They are not safe for my family to be around. They're not safe for my daughter to be around. They're not safe for me to walk with. They're not safe for me to be in business with. They're not safe for me to sit under their teaching. There's a lot of people in my life that are unsafe people, and I will not associate with them in certain ways. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean that I don't forgive them. Because here's what forgiveness does not mean. Forgiveness does not mean that you diminish the hurt that you've experienced or that others have caused. By forgiving somebody, it doesn't doesn't say what you did to me was okay, what you did to me was right. That's not what forgiveness is. It, it, It does not mean that what happened to you is okay. It doesn't mean that that the pain that you experience because of someone else or the hurt that you experience is okay and it's all right. It's not trusting that the offender, it's not trusting in the offender and placing yourself in danger again. And it's not relieving the person of responsibility. And, And can I just say this? Forgiveness is also not a feeling because I never feel like forgiving anybody. It's not a feeling that I feel. It's not that I all of a sudden feel happy around that person or feel good about that person or feel like, you know what, I wanna give that person a hug now. There are a lot of people in my life that I don't wanna hug. Are you with me? And not, because, not just because of COVID, right? I, there, there's, <laughs> there are people that I don't wanna give hugs. Forgiveness is releasing resentment and pardoning one who has offended or hurt you. And it's rarely a one-time event. Peter said, how many times do I do it? Seven times? Jesus said 77, which means you just keep doing it. It also means that it doesn't happen in just a moment, right? That we forgive over time, especially if you've been deeply wounded or hurt by somebody. 
So I've got people in my life who have deeply, deeply wounded me, deeply, deeply disappointed me, who have deeply frustrated me. And I, I, I feel like each year I get a little closer to forgiving them. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that there's just this magical thing that happens where all of a sudden I'm all right with everybody, but it means I'm working towards that and I'm sorting it out in my own heart and I'm trying to figure out what this means. Unlimited amounts is the time that we forgive. In 1994, civil war broke out in Rwanda. Uh, in just a period of a few short months, around uh, a million people were killed uh, and the death toll was overwhelming. And Rwanda had to then figure out how do they deal with the genocide that just happened because there was one people group who fought with another people group and just decided we're going to exterminate that people group and over a million were killed. As Rwanda began to heal years later and began to figure out what are we going to do with this, Rwanda didn't have the infrastructure to keep all of these men in prison. So the prison system was so overwhelmed with murderers who had murdered during genocide and civil war in Rwanda that the, that the country, the finances, the economics couldn't withhold those people. They couldn't keep them in prison. They couldn't afford to, 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 to give justice in the way that the country should give justice to all of these people. And uh, there was this backlog of court cases that was overwhelming. There was this overwhelming sense of we can't, we can't afford this, what's happening in the prison system. There was perpetrators that had to be released back into their communities. And you gotta think about this. This isn't, this isn't a wealthy community where you can just decide like, oh, this happened in Chicago, I'm just gonna move to Atlanta. These people had to stay in their tribes and in their communities. And so what happened in Rwanda is the most remarkable thing I've ever heard of. The president of Rwanda stood up in front of the country and said, I'm calling for a national day of forgiveness. And I'm asking every person in Rwanda to forgive the people who have wronged you. And they sent people into each of these communities, government workers, they, were, they called them peacemakers. And what these peacemakers would do is they would sit down with the person who had murdered your family member and you in a room and try and negotiate peace, and try and say, how do we move forward from here? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the scale of this? Can you imagine the depth of forgiveness? There's a beautiful film about this called As We Forgive. It's a documentary that documents the story of these peacemakers, and it tells the story of one family member who decided to actually forgive. And she said, I don't know how to forgive apart from Jesus. To forgive is holy. To forgive is divine. To forgive is something that I can only do because of Jesus. And then there's another person who chooses not to forgive. She looks directly in the face of the person who murdered her, her uh, father and says, I will never forgive you. I hope that you rot, right? There's just, just this anger and venom that flows out of her over and over and over again. And as I watched that video and I watched that documentary, I started to think, I wonder what would happen if just the church in America, just the people of God, just the people who are right now gathered in Sunday service worshiping him, I wonder how we would change our communities and change our world 
if starting right now, we called for a, for a national day of forgiveness, where the people who have wronged us and who have hurt us, where we release them, and we begin to walk in a new kind of freedom. I wonder what breakthrough would happen. Thomas Aquinas said this. He said, justice without mercy is just cruelty. And right now, in our culture, guys, there is justice without mercy. Are you with me? If you make a mistake, you are canceled, you are done, you are out. You are eliminated. And the way of the kingdom says there's a different way. There's a different way. The world's way is cruel and it cancels. Jesus' way is full of love and full of mercy and it invites reconciliation and it invites people into relationship with one another. The second thing is the world hates their enemy while the kingdom loves them. Our, our lives are full of these changes and these transformations that happen because we choose to love our enemy. Enemy love is like the hardest thing in the world. Scripture says that Jesus actually prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And I don't think there's a lot of us that are sitting at that table right now. I'm great at sitting at the table with my friends. I love a good meal, right? I love a laugh around the table. I love a table full of friends that are enjoying it. I hate conflict. I am a peacemaker at heart. I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to get along. And so conflict drives me crazy. And so when I know that there is anything at stake, I'm, I'm a basketball coach. And, and last week we had a basketball game. And, and uh, as we were playing our game, there was a parent that got mad at me. And a parent sent me an email. And whenever parents send emails, they're always like five pages long. They're never just, would you please call me and we can talk about this. They're just like this long, like I got every unfiltered thought that this person ever had in his life about basketball and about me as a coach and about the team and I know everything about this human uh, because I read a five-page email. And I got that. I got it. It was on uh, Wednesday night. I got it. I got it on Wednesday night. And uh, we had just had a game and he sent me all these things about how all the all the disagreements we had. And the truth is, the guy knows nothing about basketball, like nothing at all, right? Nothing about basketball. What he knows is that his son should get whatever his son wants. That's what he knows, right? Uh, and so I know this in my heart. Like I know, I know more about this than you do. I didn't do anything wrong you have made an enemy of me somehow in this. But you know what my response was? This is my initial response to that email. Ooh, that boy's never getting coached by me again. That was my response. You know what I'm gonna do this week? He wants to send me a five-page email. He's gonna watch his kids sit out the whole game. Let's see what happens there. Let's see how you feel about that, Mr. Five-Page Email. That was my initial thought. It's not the holiest thought, I don't think, right? I don't know if it was the purest thought. There might be some filtering that needs to happen. So I went to bed angry, and then I woke up in the middle of the night. I woke up at five in the morning, wide awake, stressing about this person that I don't know, who I've never had a conversation with in my life, because there's this enemy thing that has suddenly creeped in. 
And as I was praying, I was like, Lord, why am I so anxious about this? Why can I not just say that guy's an idiot? I'm just gonna coach and I'll say a nice thing to him tomorrow and deal with it. Like there's something about that conflict or that enemy thing that just drives me crazy. And as I was praying, the Lord said this, I have placed a table in the presence of your enemies. And I was like, I don't want a table, Lord. (laughs) I don't wanna eat that meal. Like that is not a tasty meal. I don't want that meal. I'll I'll hang out with my friends. I'll sit at the table with them. I don't wanna eat a meal with this guy. I don't wanna talk with this guy. I don't wanna... But at the end of his five-page email, there was a phone number. And I called him the next morning. And I listened to him for 40 minutes. And I corrected him for some things. And I said, I I need you to understand, here's what's going on with the team. Here's what's happening. I told him at the end of it, I don't, I want to be on your side. And I want you to know that you can call me and talk to me after games and you don't have to send emails. And at the end of it, he, he said this, and, and guys, I, I, don't, I, I rarely get this right. So the fact that I'm telling this story of a time when I did get it right is, is not meaning I get this right all the time. But at the end of it, he said, this is not how I thought you would respond. I think the world right now is expecting us to create more enemies. That I think people are thinking, and and everybody's emotionally exhausted, right? Everybody's had it right now. Everybody's at the end of their rope, and so everybody's trigger is really short right now. And so in the middle of all of that, I think people are just expecting conflict, and they're expecting that when I come at somebody, they're gonna come back at me, and there's gonna be some kind of battle, and for some reason, that battle makes us feel better about something. And the way of Jesus says, no, I've, Place the table in front of your enemies, and I've invited you to go there. James 2.13 says this. It says, for judgment without mercy, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. Isn't that a great phrase? Mercy always triumphs over judgment. That in the moment that I'm ready to judge and the moment that I'm ready to play jury and the moment that I'm ready to, to pass the sentence, mercy wins. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says, you've heard it say you love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you will be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles do the same? We're called to a completely different way of dealing with conflict, of dealing with frustration, of dealing with our enemies, of dealing with the people who have wronged us. Thirdly, the world shows mercy in words while the kingdom shows mercy in action. Matthew 25, verses 37 through 40 says, the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see the hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did you see a stranger and invite you in or the naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. The kingdom is about action. The kingdom is not about words because here's what I can do. I can say I forgive you and I can hold malice in my heart forever. Husbands and wives, can I get an amen? 
I have never in my 26 years of ministry met with a marriage couple that's struggling in their marriage that didn't just need to forgive each other. My advice for every struggling marriage is this. You're both idiots. Forgive each other. Right? It's that simple. That's the reality. If you live with somebody long enough, they're gonna see all of your faults and you're gonna wrong them and things are gonna happen and it's gonna be frustrated and every marriage we have the opportunity, we can keep score or we can forgive. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It feels like that sometimes. It feels like that. We can keep score, that's amazing. Uh, here's here's the reality and here's what I think all of these passages are saying here Uh, when when Jesus is talking about all of these things and going after us about forgiveness and enemy love and this like the wording of this is super strong guys it's if you don't forgive I won't forgive you that's from the Lord that's strong language if you're at the altar and you find out that you've got something wrong with your brother then leave the altar and go find them like maybe the best thing that you can do is for some of you to stand up right now, walk out of this place, and get on your cell phone and make a phone call to somebody. Like don't sing the last song. Don't take communion. Walk out of the back and call your dad that you haven't talked to forever. Call your friend. Call your business partner. Call somebody and say, you know what? I've been carrying this thing forever, and I've been thinking that unforgiveness is going to hurt you, but the reality is, is the only person that's hurting is me. Here's the reality for all of us. You become like the God that you believe in. You become like the God that you believe in. And a lot of things can be said about me, guys, but I believe that God is good. I believe that God is gracious. I believe that God is full of mercy. I believe that God has offered me a billion second chances. And because he's good and because he's merciful and because he's great and because he's kind and it's his kindness that leads me to repentance, it opens up a way for me to act like my king. Right? The language of scripture is always this language. There is a kingdom, the kingdom of God, and it is closer than we imagine that it is and it's already been announced by the presence of Jesus. And in that kingdom, there is a king. And in that kingdom, there are followers and there are ambassadors and there are people who live under the lordship of that king. And we are those people. And man, do I want the people in the kingdom of God to start looking like the king. My goodness, do I long for a new revival of holiness and a new revival of love and of mercy and of forgiveness and of grace. And my goodness, do I want us to stop acting like our politicians and start acting like our savior. I love this. Mother Teresa says this. It's my favorite Mother Teresa quote. This is sitting in my office on the wall. And I'm not kidding, guys. There's not a week that I don't look at it and say, golly, that's hard. People are often unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish and ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. 
If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you, but be honest and frank anyway. When you spend years building, someone could destroy it overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you you have, and it may never be enough, but give your best anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it's between you and your God. It was never between you and them anyway. I really believe this. There's a day that's coming for every one of us where we're going to stand before our Lord. And I don't have to give an account for how others treated me. It doesn't matter how many stories I tell of how I was hurt or how somebody wronged me or how somebody frustrated me. I have to give an account for how I responded. I'm telling my kids this. Over, like if there's one lesson my kids are tired of hearing from me, it's that because someone did this to you does not mean you have to respond in this way. You determine how you respond to every situation and our family is gonna choose to respond in a different way. And we're living in an angry world right now. I was at the Target Pharmacy a few weeks ago and I was getting a subscription filled and the guy beside me was, <laughs> he, was a, he was a bike rider. He had like the really tight pants on and like the really short. I was like, dude, could you put some pants on in the store? Uh, I don't understand the tight pants and biking. Uh, but he was there and and I was on my phone, and the lady, the lady said, sir, and she was talking to me, and, and the guy like looked at me and just yelled at me. He said, put down your phone and pay attention. And I wanted so badly. It was on my mind. I'm good. And I, right on the top of my mind was, put on some pants, guy. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say. Like, you, you don't talk to me like that. You're not even wearing pants. Be a grown-up. Like we're in public here. Nobody wants to see that, right? That's, that's what I wanted to say. I, I, I think the world is just like on edge right now. And there's a lot of people like the Target pharmacy guy. And they don't need me to give them a smart answer back or to fight back or to yell back. They just need me to show grace. I didn't do anything in that moment. I just walked away. Maybe I should have hugged him or something. I don't know. <laughs> it would have been awkward. But here's, here's what I want us to do. We're gonna, the band's going to come up, and we're going to move to a time of communion. And, and as we do, guys, like I, every time we take communion, we remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And we remember the length that he went to so that we would be forgiven. And I don't know if there's a better day for us to say, Jesus, if you're willing to go this far, if you're willing to lay down your life for me, then would you teach me to take two steps towards the people that have wronged me? Would you teach me to forgive? Would you teach me to show grace? Would you teach me not to be the angry person at the pharmacy line? But would you teach me a new way? And so, Heavenly Father, right now, I just pray that you would stir and that you would work in this place.
Lord, we take seriously your word and we believe that your way is good and right and true and holy. And so we ask right now that you would reveal areas of our own life where we need to forgive. We ask that you reveal areas where we need to filter some things out. And we pray that you would teach us not just to forgive seven times, but to forgive 77 times. And so as we worship you now, Lord, to stir and move and invite us to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.